Welcome to the WNCT Podcast Network. How's it going, everybody? Hope you're having a great day. This is the WNCT9 Sports Talk Podcast. I'm Zach Kaplan. I'm one of the new sports guys starting here at the station. Uh, I say new. It's been five weeks now, but um, newer relative to, you know, when you when you have a sports director who's been here 38 years, I think I'm kind of newer. So yeah. um, I just got to the area, and uh, I'm loving it here so far. That was quite an intro. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Try that. not to be too, like... <laughs> Too much of a jerk about I it. I liked it. I'm not I liked sure which it. words I can and can't say on this podcast. So. so you said new in relative. Yes, you are new. So how have you adjusted to being here so far? Yeah, it's been, it's funny because I was talking to uh, a couple of friends. I just moved here. Um, I was working as a sports anchor in Montana. So there's a whole line of questioning with that. It's really interesting to kind of uh, tell people about that, and I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, so um, part of you know, moving back here, moving to Greenville has been uh, coming back to the East Coast for me, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's certainly been an, an adjustment. I think culturally, the South is a lot different, as you would expect, than the Pacific Northwest. Uh, the weather is thankfully really different because it gets cold in Montana, and I decided I was sick of that, <laughs> and uh, um, it's just been a lot different of uh, getting to know sports, getting to know where things are, you know, when you're going out and going to schools and stuff, and and just getting to know people, how teams operate, how um, things operate in terms of media access, and uh, that that sort of thing has been an adjustment and and a learning curve, but I've been enjoying it. Now, high school football in Eastern North Carolina, you know, is a big thing. I mean, you got New Bern, Havelock, Easterville, whoever it may be. What have you learned about high school football in Eastern North Carolina? I've learned that uh, that people care a lot. I don't think they've ever met an officiating crew they've liked. And I've learned that people will not show up if it's rainy or if it's cold. That is true. So this is my challenge to people that, that hey, these playoff games, come on now. What what else are you doing? You can get all the entertainment you want. Some of these coaches are uh, are characters for like five or ten bucks. Exactly. I, I, I will, so I will say I've been a little disappointed in the uh, attendance at some of the games. Yeah. But the passion and hearing about it from people and um, and just seeing uh, just how unbelievably athletic some of these kids are and some of the talent here in the area, that's been really cool to watch so far. Now, I've talked about Touchdown Friday on here before. Yeah. So – For anybody who hasn't heard of it, we get a lot of us together and we each go to different schools to shoot high school football. We put it on Touchdown Friday, the longest running football show in Eastern North Carolina. Thank you, Brian Bailey. So nailed that. (laughs) So what has been uh, your favorite high school that you've been to for that? Does anyone come to mind or that like impressed you? Uh, Not football wise. I was about to say, you're going to get all the rivals to hate me. (laughs) Um, The most impressive, I will say the most impressive environment I've been in so far, um, I went to a game at Wallace Rose Hill when they faced East Duplin. And I was told going in that that was going to be one of the best environments I've been at all year. Mm -hmm. I also feel like that's a hard one to argue against. Like if you've been in this area and covering, or not covering, but watching high school football for a long time. Um, And that game came right down to, it went to overtime and obviously came right down to, you know, any game that comes down to the final play uh, is, is awesome. But that environment so far has um, – and I've liked every – like, every school is nice people, and, like, I haven't had a bad experience yet. 
um, with people. But that has been that was the most impressive environment. I know it meant a lot, obviously, to not anytime you knock off a defending state champion. Um, but that is the one that is that is the environment that has stood out to me the most so far. I know that when I go shoot and a game goes into overtime or it comes down to the wire, as somebody who's just behind the camera, you almost feel a sense of pressure for them. And as an athlete, I remember what that was like. I yeah. don't know if it stems from that. But speaking personally, I know that I, my palms almost start to sweat. Do you ever get that way when you're just watching, shooting football? I A little bit. I think more so basketball. Um, not that yeah. I've shot, a, I haven't shot a close basketball game yet because you know it's, it's just been uh, high school hasn't started yet, and then ECU they've been kind of blowing everybody out <laughs> so far. So I get it more so with basketball, especially when it's like three throws and one yeah. kid at the line, and it's all on him or her. Like either way, um, I, I would say with football, I've been thinking more situationally. Like I'm too zoned into like what I need to do and like how far out I am from deadline and, and, and what, um, what my next steps need to be. So, like, I think about that Wallace game, or even I covered, like, a crazy game in Southwest Edgecombe that uh, came down to yeah. a field goal late for the, um, I believe, for the Alvarez Conference title. So, like, like, that type of stuff, you know, in your head, you're like, okay, it's 925, you know, I got to get you know get this together like you're thinking in your head what the highlights are going to be you're thinking what you want the post game to look like and um and then you're thinking like all right like if i get this done by like 950 i have like this much margin for error like i'm thinking about it that way almost um kind of a insight into our brains what we're thinking about when you see us running up and down the sidelines uh that's kind of my mindset late in those tight games I also think for some of us, we get an email uh, each Wednesday, Thursday, whenever it comes out, and you get the assignment where you're going. You also get the assignment on whether you're not, you're supposed to get a stay tuned, uh, a tease, a wall VO, a package. So not only are you worried about shooting the game and making sure you get the big plays, whatever it may be, but then you're like, oh, I have to go to the cheerleaders and get a stay tuned or something like that. So I know that. Sometimes that'll stress me out. I try to knock that out when I first get there. But. And just stay ahead. I mean. Exactly. Yeah, you have to stay ahead. Have you missed like a shot yet and you're like my camera wasn't recording or like I wasn't paying attention has yeah, that happened to you yet yes many times uh at least five or six times yeah um anyone that was like bad not one that was like terrible uh but ones that I can like specific ones I can think of in my head where I'm still annoyed at myself about it um and I think it's yeah and it's just like you're trying to stay ahead like um, you know, it, sometimes that means like editing into the third quarter of a game when you know it's going to come down to the fourth. So that way, it's like, okay, well, I already have like half the stuff I need in. Right. So I'm only I only got to get these last two things done, and then you know they're they're good on my game, and at least I've handled my um my my side of the work. Uh, so that's yeah, no, the nerves are real, but I think when you think about it situationally, and you can kind of men- mentally prepare before you get into that situation, you can make the right decisions and trust yourself to do that. I, I mean, same as these coaches and players, they, they do that in practice all week. Like yeah. I'm kind of doing it mentally all week. So I know a lot of people in Eastern North Carolina would like to know what is it like working for Brian Bailey? Yeah, it's, um, I, I think it's been awesome. Uh, it's, it's certainly when I, when I go out and tell people I'm a channel nine, uh, everyone's always asking how he's doing, uh, oh, yeah. what's going on, you know, how, how he's, how's he been? Uh, and then, you know, they certainly know who he is. And I think for me, it's been, you know, and I don't see it as pressure. I see it as, uh, just trying to, when, you know, when, when he's off and I'm on or 
you know, if he's on the road and I'm anchoring, like trying to keep things at a certain bar mm -hmm. and making sure that, you know, we're showing why people should tune in uh, to our sports casts, you know, this, here in this market and also trying to be, you know, one of the better sports operations in the state uh, and even punch above our weight market wise. Um, so I think, you know, we both uh, are, have a have a sense of what. You know, I, I'm, I'm still building my sense of that. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say after five weeks that I know what it takes uh, because, you know, maybe at the year mark I'll feel a little differently, but I'm not there yet. So yeah. to say that would be a bit ridiculous. But I think uh, just trying to uphold that standard and trying to just, uh, you know, put together shows that uh, reflect the work we put in, the experience we have, and uh, the fun that we have doing it too and not just be – you know, so buttoned up, but find that middle ground between, you know, throwing those puns in there and having fun with the highlights, but also people want the scores, people want to know what's happening and want to stay entertained and informed. And uh, I've been trying to do that best I can. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, people are saying nice things, but I keep telling them it's early. So. <laughs> so now with sports reporting, how did you get into that even before here? Yeah, so I've always wanted to. Um, I've always wanted to work in sports broadcasting in some way. I grew up in Boston, and I was born. I was. I'm gonna make people feel old, Courtney. Um, <laughs> I was six years old when the Boston Red Sox won their first World Series in 86 oh, wow. years. Uh, so I remember that. I remember being in first grade, and I remember like just the way the city exploded, the region really exploded, and you know that. And the Patriots won the Super Bowl six months later. Like. I've been hooked kind of since that, and, like, I've always been kind of amazed by, like, the idea that you could get paid to be at these games and not have to fork out, yeah. you know, hundreds of dollars to do it. So, for me, that was kind of, like, growing up in Boston in that time when they do, were doing all the winning. Now they aren't. Um, but it was really <laughs> fun when I was a kid, and, uh, and I think since then I've just been so, like, fixated on wanting to work in sports i think for a while i want to do play-by-play -play, mm -hmm. and then once i got into college I, i'm a penn state graduate we won't talk about that michigan game <laughs> um we don't need to talk about them today i do love my alma mater but god is there the football team think about my me. alma mater is east carolina playing michigan 30 to 3 yeah i, I mean we lost by a lot the penn state lost by less but uh it's just as frustrating when you lose to them every year yeah um i um no, I've just really I've fallen in love with it. I thought I wanted to do play-by-play -play for a while, and I think I still do. But, um, you know, as I got into kind of later in my time at Penn State, like the idea of being on TV and getting to cover all the sports has always been my thing. Like I don't want to only cover baseball, only cover basketball. Right. Like I like covering a bit of everything, and so that's what kind of led me to be more of a TV guy. I think becoming a multi-sport commentator is more common now than it used to be because now well, look you at yourself. Yeah, look I, at you. Yeah. So falling uh, basketball so far. Making your basketball debut last I'm, week. Uh, yeah, I'm doing my best. The fist bump uh, that I got from you before the game really is what brought me to success oh, for that okay. game. I'm glad I could help. But I know that you know there's softball commentators that were women that only did softball for years and years now doing football and I know some people have things to say about that and that's just going to be how it is with women in sports and, and I understand that but I feel like becoming multi-sport is is more common now than it ever has been have you gotten to do any kind of commentating at all yeah so I um in my four years at Penn State I was doing football men's basketball men's and women's basketball uh men's and women's hockey men's and women's lacrosse um I'm trying to think there's like uh, baseball and softball, uh, men's and women's soccer, 
So I got to do those uh, while I was in school. And then when I graduated and moved to Montana, uh, my station out there, we had the rights to um, to high school football. We had the rights to uh, men's and women's basketball games mm-hmm. uh, at Montana and Montana State. And uh, I got to call some of those as well. I did some softball uh, at Montana. And, yeah, I did a, a little bit of high school um, boys and girls basketball as well. So I, I've done a little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, certainly got on the full smorgasbord. Did you do play-by-play for those, too? Yeah. Or, yeah. So you've never done color? I've done a little of both. Um, That's I, hard. Yeah, it <laughs> is. you got to really know. I, I, I think um, I think if people went in the booth, like if Pirate fans went in the booth and saw the work that uh, some of the voices here do, I think they'd be pretty shocked at just, like, the level of detail mm-hmm. of, you know, spotting charts and spotting boards and the, the way that people – especially in that um, sphere, dive into it and have to dive into it. Um, even the people that do the ESPN Plus games or, like, whoever's doing, you know, we're, we're taping this before uh, ECU goes to play Navy. Yeah. Um, like, the people that call it on ESPN News, like, if they saw their charts, I think people would be really amazed. Yeah. They're, all, they're also pretty hard to read sometimes. You have to make yeah. your own language yeah. uh, for how to have all those stats and things you can reference like ready right in front of you. I know for women's basketball, I got the call two days in advance and I love college basketball. I love Duke basketball. I love ECU basketball, of course. So I've been a Carolina college basketball fan. turned you off. <laughs> I know Carolina fans have turned off the podcast now, but I do know that, you know, I love to watch basketball when it comes to commentating. Um, I don't know when it came to softball commentating, when I was given that opportunity, which I am thankful for every single day. Um, I knew what I was talking about. I knew yeah. about a rise ball, whatever it may be, how she should have dove for that ball. She shouldn't have whatever it was. When it came to basketball, I was not going to say she should have shot the ball this way or ran this way because I don't know. So mm-hmm. I had like 14 pages printed out and stapled together and highlighted and all this stuff because for color, the play-by-play will kind of say what just happened. And then when they do the replay, you're supposed to talk during the replay. So if they shot a three and they replay the three, how beautiful it was, I was supposed to say something. And I'm like, yeah, what a beautiful three. That's literally what I said one time. (laughs) I froze because your play-by-play will kind of hit you to say something. And I was like, "I, I don't know. Like, and so I think that being a commentator is a lot harder than people Think because I know how it's like to sit on my couch and yell at the TV. Right. Um, but then you put the headphones on and it gets dark in there and that light is on you. And sometimes you can kind of freeze. So, and, you know, maybe that's just yeah. me. I mean. And I think, Courtney, honestly, like the mark of a really good play-by-play uh, guy or gal is how well they set up their partners. Uh-huh. And I think, like, it's the same in the NFL. Like, when Tom Brady's, like, making Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski and all these, like, guys look good, like, it's the same in broadcast. And I would challenge people, like, if you want to see a really good example of that, go find the next game Bill Walton calls. We're in college oh, basketball season now. Yeah. And I love Walton. And I love watching Walton games. It's always the Pac-12 and it's always late at night, usually, even this time of year. Like, when you watch Dave Pash and Jason Benetti work with him, they are outstanding at setting him up, working around him. You know, you have to really, like, especially with TV, when the color commentator sometimes is more famous than you are. I think Jim Nance and Tony Romo are a good example of this. And we're a CBS station, so there you go. Good example. (laughs) Uh, Like, tune in. Next time Nance and Romo do a game on our network, like, Nance does such a good job of, like, letting Tony have those moments. And, like, especially a game where it's really good quarterbacks. Like, yeah. if they're doing, you know, Mahomes and some somebody else. Mahomes is playing, like, the Ravens. Like, the way, like, he knows that 
nothing Jim Nance says, Ro- like Romo is going to say better things about Lamar and Mahomes, mm-hmm. and that's what people are watching for than anything Jim has to say. Right. And the best play-by-play people know to get out of the way of that, but that's a really hard thing to get down. It is, and, and kind of playing off each other again, like you had mm-hmm. said, is so important, especially like for me, I know the sport, but I never played it, and I know that if I do want to do commentating in the future, that's going to be something I get over. Is that something I want to do going forward? Yes, but no, I'm not sure. And yeah. Patrick Johnson, the play-by-play that I normally do, I had Evan. Uh, Evan, if you hear this, I do not know how to pronounce your last name. I'm so sorry. It's a tough one. Phenomenal. But Patrick, He's shaking his fist at the sky I know. Right I don't know I how to say his this. last name. <laughs> but Patrick Johnson Johnson's got a little easier me. to pronounce. It is. He got me the opportunity in the first place. And he is one. If, if you've ever watched an ECU football game or been outside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, you know who Patrick Johnson is. Great voice. He does all the ECU basketball games, the men's basketball. Please mm-hmm. go listen to him. He is amazing. I was lucky enough for him to give me the opportunity. And playing off of him was so easy. And there were times where if he knew that I kind of froze and didn't know what to say, he, he was able to fill that air. And I think that's super important. It doesn't make you feel awkward. Yeah, yeah. It, do- it doesn't. And the other thing, too, is, like, knowing the context. Like, you, like to bring this conversation full circle, like, you asked me, like, what are some of the biggest things I've learned so far? Mm-hmm. And, like, you have to know where Pirate fans are coming from. So, like, I'm looking at Pirate basketball this year, men's, men's and women's, and I'm like, they're, they're going to be good. Like, I yeah. think they're exciting. Like, I'm like, why aren't people showing up? And then I look up at the ceiling, and I see that the men haven't made the tournament in 30 years. This, this, uh, this March will be 31 years, yeah. and the women just made it last year for the first time in a long time. And, you you know, you have to, like, understand those things and, like, challenge yourself to, like, find the answers. Sometimes that's talking to people. Sometimes it's just looking up at on your inside Minji's and mm. seeing that. And then, like, baseball, same thing. You know, like, they've, like, been knocking on the door to go to Omaha, haven't done it yet, gotten pretty darn close, like, yeah. you know, eight, nine defensive outs away. Maybe even closer if you go back a few years. Like, you know, it's knowing that stuff too. And I think, like, going into a broadcast, like, if you have that down and you can know why, like, you know, if, um, if Danae McNeil goes for 30, you know, the next time uh, ECU plays, like, knowing that that's a career high for her, knowing, like, what she's battled through um, injuries, you know, COVID years, like, all that stuff. And, like, it can make you appreciate it so much more and relay that to the audience, and then they can appreciate it the way you, you're able to. Now, with the men's and women's, when I was commentating, it was women's basketball. This was the game that they were going to unveil the banner. They knew women's basketball was going to be good. They won the conference after being picked last that same year. Yep. Now, I knew it was such a big deal. I was also at the men's home opener. Lots of people there. It was so fun. And I know men's is supposed to be good this year as well. So I'm not taking away from ECU men's basketball. Nobody get it twisted. But it was full. Like the student section, you couldn't move. You go to the women's game. And it was was different. Extremely different. I mean, there was nobody in the student section. There were fans, but it wasn't near as close. And I actually tweeted something and Coach Kim McNeil replied to it and said it was very sad the way that these students don't support women's basketball after everything that they have accomplished for the school. What do you think, like, and and I always kind of advocate for women's sports on this podcast as a woman in sports and a former D1 athlete. Do you think that it takes anything specific to get people to come watch these girls play who just won by 70 and won a conference championship and went dancing last year? Yeah, I mean, the, I, I watched that Upstate game. I'm, I'm looking at them. Like, yeah. Oh, my Col- God. Color commenting like, that game was not easy because you're like, what do I say now? Well, it turns into the, the Courtney Layton variety show, <laughs> the variety hour <laughs> in the second half. 
Um, I think, you know, you know, and it's a great point you bring up because, like, they have been the more successful team yeah. of late. And I, I, I respect Kim McNeil a lot for the way that she's trying to build it. And I would challenge people, like, they play an exciting brand of basketball. Both teams play an exciting brand of basketball. Like, it, it, it's just, um, I, I, think, I think people could do a lot, especially in this football season, too, where Pirate fans, and they've still, still gone into Dowdy and watched. I was just about to say a, that. A, a, a team that's had a tough season and yeah. you know, a team that's had a down year. And I would say, like, if you want to watch winning Pirate teams, like, go see both of them because yeah. I think Minji's could be a lot more full than it's been first couple weeks and people are still in football season and holidays. I get that. But I would hope that, you know, if they're able to really go on a run here in the non-conference, like, I think, I think people have gotten their hopes up before and then gotten them dashed once they get into AAC yeah. or previously Conference USA play. Like, they, they got to give these teams a shot. These are, you know, I mean, Coach Schwartz is, you know, in, in year two. I think Kim McNeil's really building a, a program that's going to be an excellent mid-major as long as she's here. You know, and obviously she'll get, you know, if they keep going to the tournament, she'll get overtures to go, mm -hmm. you know, jump to jump to another school as those openings come up. So hopefully ECU is able to keep her because I think she is a keeper. I think she is someone you want to stay here for a long time. And I, yeah, I would, I would say that people need to, you know, show up to these games. I mean, we, we just had over the weekend as well, uh, NC state got the win over UConn on the women's that side. That was insane. Yeah. And I, I almost, you know, I, I, I was like, you know, I need to move this up in my show. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is and the LSU upset, Colorado upsetting LSU. Yeah, like I, I've certainly gotten more into it, especially as I moved here. And I mean, shoot, if NC State can be UConn, I mean, they're they're going to be a team to watch all year. Mm -hmm. uh, Duke and Carolina, always good. Uh, Carolina is a ranked team. Um, like, I, I think I, I think I'll certainly be keeping more of an eye on them and the way that you know ESPN is putting these games like on Sunday afternoons on ABC. And people are going to be watching football through the end of the year over stuff like that. But mm -hmm. I've still been amazed at some of the TV numbers they've pulled. And I would really challenge people to, like, kind of, you know, move forward and kind of see just how talented some of these women's basketball players are and just how fun of a product it can be on the floor. And, and there's, like, I'll say this, too. Like, one of the things I love about the NBA, and I'm sure some people love about the NBA, is the pettiness. Oh, yeah. And, like, the, the way it can sometimes be a reality show. There is some pettiness in these women's basketball There's games. There's so much that, estrogen in these women's basketball yeah, games. Well, you can say that part. Uh, that sounds it's a lot true. better coming from you. But it is like the pettiness and some of the rivalries that are there. Like there's so like that part of it's fun to watch for me. So mm -hmm. I would say there's just as much of that in the women's game as the men's game, and uh, that is a fun. That is such a fun subplot to me in itself. So. I think I mentioned this uh, once every single podcast I've done that I'm a huge Carolina Hurricanes fan. If you know me, you know that. You look at my desk. I have calendars and pictures everywhere. I have pictures you? of my boyfriend no. as well. I know. No, me, not a Canes fan. No. I have pictures of my boyfriend, but I also have pictures of lots of them of the Carolina Hurricanes. So being from Boston, hockey fan, yes or no? Oh, yeah. Big, yes. big Bruins fan. I remember that is the first thing you told me, and I told you <laughs> that we could not be friends. Um, I guess we're making it work long enough to do this podcast. Yeah, so. we've we've made progress enough. But have you remained like a Bruins fan even though you're here now? I would say I have a different relationship. I'm not going to call it a rivalry because the Bruins and the Canes is not a rivalry. See, I think it's not a rivalry. Who's who's the Bruins? The, rival the rivalries in Bo the rivals in Boston, in order, in my opinion. Uh -huh. Montreal. Number one. Montreal. We hate them. 
and I don't, and I don't like them at all. Okay. I, Montreal Canadiens. That thing goes back 100 years. Okay. See, I didn't know that. And the funny thing is, like, the Bruins did have a rivalry with the Hartford Whalers, who and, were the Canes before the Canes. Yeah. And I just don't think it's – I don't think it's the same anymore. Um, I wasn't alive for that. That was before my. That was before I was around. <laughs> but um, it's Montreal. I'd say right now it's Toronto. Oh, yeah. Who's kind of the Dallas Cowboys of hockey. Yes, they are. And then I would say probably the New York Rangers, Philadelphia Flyers on a rotating basis. Yeah. Right now the Flyers stink, so it's probably the Rangers. But it's those three to four and then probably Carolina. See, I consider our rival, the number one, is the Rangers. We hate each other. Okay. I mean, and it used yeah, to be Tampa. That's... It used to be Tampa Bay. Not that Tampa Bay is bad. Well, they're Sorry. in the division. They're not as good as they were. Sorry, they're not in I the mean, division. Or they're not in the division. I mean, the Rangers no. are. Yeah, so uh, that definitely we have some pettiness with the Rangers, especially because oh, yeah. they kicked our butt in the Stanley Cup playoffs two years ago, yeah. um, and then we got swept by Florida. So I do have beef with Florida, although I didn't. I really didn't. They were one of those teams where I was like, if they're playing, I'll pull for them. Then they swept us, but they were on such a roll. Even though they swept us, yeah. I they still had a run. I was really upset because we were one, like, series away, and it really sucked. But if there was one team where I was like, okay, I want them to move on that's still remaining here, it, well, it was us. If we were going to lose, it was them because yeah. I love this Cinderella story. I don't know if you remember or pay attention to NCAA softball, but a few years ago it was James Madison University. Yeah. Made the Cinderella story, the Cinderella the run, run in the World Series, and I think everybody loves a good Cinderella story like that, so I appreciated it. But do you plan on going to any Carolina Hurricanes games? Or we get Definitely. to work them. We get to work them a lot. Like, is that something that you would want to do? Yeah, I can't wait. I hope to get to PNC at least a couple of times. Uh, the Bruins don't play there until April 4th. I've already looked. I like ahead. you know the date. Not that I've looked ahead or anything. Uh, they don't go to Raleigh until April fourth. I mean, I hope they would play in the playoffs, but I mean, we won't know until mid-April. Were you guys not? You were knocked out in the first round last year by the Panthers, correct? So, like I said, they play April fourth. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they play April fourth in Raleigh. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they were bad bad memories. Uh, they set a regular season points record uh, and then blew a three-one. That was like the Braves this year. Yeah. Set records yeah. And got uh, more, more like the Dodgers, I would say. That more like the Dodgers true. two years ago mm-hmm. when they won. That's what it felt more like to me when they won. When the Dodgers won 111 games and then got upset by the Padres, um, that was. That, I would say it's more in line with that. Mm-hmm. But uh, hurt the same. The one that really hurts though for the Bruins was they were in Game Seven of the Cup Finals uh, in 2019. I was actually down in North Carolina. I was working for a baseball team in um, in Thomasville uh, uh-huh. over over by Greensboro. And um, luckily, I don't think people there care as much about hockey, <laughs> uh, or at least at the time they didn't. Yeah. Even though they beat they beat the Canes to go to that finals, and uh, that stunk. That yeah. that was awful. Yeah, especially like the St. Louis Blues. I'm like I they've know. never been good. No. Like come on. No. When the loss of the Blackhawks, that was like mid dynasty. But losing to St. Louis, that. And they haven't been good since. Well, Chicago is yeah. just a, a staple team, I think. Yeah. And they're oh, also yeah. one of, I can't remember what they call like the original six or something yep. like that. Are they not? And the Bruins are as well. Okay. That's so. what I thought. That's what I mean. Like Bruins in Montreal and Toronto, like in the Rangers, like this has been, they've been playing each other a hundred years. Like the Bruins That's have been around. Insane. This is their hundredth season. The Canes have been here since, uh, what, 97, 98, yeah, I think. 97. And, um, you know, like, like it's the hundredth year of the Bruins. 
Uh, Montreal was like existed before them. Toronto did, and then uh, Chicago and New York were the other American teams. Like, like we, we've been playing for a long damn time. Mm-hmm. Like there've been riots over like in in Canada over the Bruins. So. Uh, even recently, Vancouver nearly burned the city down after the Bruins beat them in the Stanley Cup Finals. That's like, crazy. Like people, like can't, I don't know, Canada's really divided on the Bruins. Uh, I'm sure Carolina feels one way about them. Now, briefly with baseball, big Red Sox fan. Have yep. you been to Fenway? Yeah, my first first time I went to Fenway was 2003. Um, they were playing the Blue Jays. I was the Cowboy Up Red Sox. 2003, they were playing Toronto. Um, in that, I believe in August. Mm -hmm. So I've been going to games there off and on for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Just crazy. That is crazy. I I did have a few years I didn't go because they were just, they they were just bottom of the basement and I was busy with sports and other stuff. So, um, but yeah, I've I've grown up going to Fenway. I don't even really like baseball. I just recently got into the Braves, which is funny coming from a former softball player, but I just haven't, but now that they've implemented all these new rules with the the clock and all this, I'm like, okay, maybe I can get down with this. Now that I've been I think to you two, can. I know. I and you know, now that I've been to two Braves games, one of them being a playoff game, we lost, but still getting to be in that atmosphere. I'm like, okay, maybe I maybe I do care. Shout out to my boyfriend getting me into the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> I appreciate that. But I've been to Fenway. I've been to an Astros game. I've been to Fenway, and this is just all stuff that softball was given to me. I'm very thankful for all the cool stuff I got to do. But it's just crazy to me that there are some people whose lifelong dream is to go to Fenway, big Red Sox fan, and they don't get to do it. And yeah. I got up. We played UConn that weekend, and then we had, like, an off day, and my coach was like, hey, do you guys want to go to Fenway? And we were like, sure. It's just it, – I wish I could have given him, like, my ticket or, like, my experience to somebody who, like, really wants to go. It almost makes me kind of sad. I just – I don't know. It, I always feel bad when I tell people baseball. that. I feel bad when yeah. I tell people that. They're like, so are you a Red Sox fan? And I'm like – no, I just got to go to Fenway. I feel bad. Well, hopefully hopefully North Carolina can get a team. I don't know if they will. Um, They're in the talks, but I don't yeah. think I want one. Really? No. You'd no. rather just have the Braves and call it good yes. and all the minor league teams here? Yes, but that's just me. Any North Carolinian, I'm sorry. That's just how I feel. Is there Now, I know with me being, uh, we'll leave it at this, with me being a graduate of East Carolina, but I have always been a Duke basketball fan. When I was growing up, Duke did not have a softball team. I, I loved my experience at ECU, and I wouldn't have traded it for the world, but I probably would have tried to go to Duke. Um, <laughs> I would have tried harder in school because uh, I did not. And then Duke got a softball team. Duke's I, hard. Duke, I know. Duke's a hard school. And then Duke, uh, they got a softball team my sophomore year of college, so I missed out by two years. But and they didn't have the portal back then either. Exactly. And I wouldn't trade. Brand new. I wouldn't trade my experience at ECU for anything. But and you were at Penn State. Mm-hmm. But is, is there any basketball team or college football team that you also love other than your college? Well, I mean, it's good for business that the Pirates are doing well. You know, that was the other thing I, I kind of meant to say earlier. Like, you know, from afar, I'm watching Montana and Montana State still because, mm-hmm. like, I have friends that are going to get really cool professional opportunities if they keep winning. And I do look at it from a, a business standpoint here of like if East Carolina, you know, if East Carolina, uh, everyone to if baseball, everyone to Omaha, if softball, everyone to the World Series, if uh, basketball goes to the tournament, you know, that's it's good for business. It and means it, it more people want to see experiences to you too. Yeah, and it brings professional experience. Like selfishly, and obviously, I want it for all of you. All I right, want it for Pirate right. Nation because uh, people have waited a long time for a lot of those things. But yeah, it brings it means more people are tuning in. It means more people want to hear what you know Brian Bailey and I have to say, and it means more people care. And I think uh, like that'll be interesting to me with football. Now mm-hmm. is like 
they're obviously going to make some staffing changes after this year. Like you can't go whatever their final record's going to be and, you know, roll it back, run it back next year. But like you risk, um, you risk kind of fan apathy when you, when it's like insanity is the same thing, it's doing the same thing over and over again. And so like, hopefully they can kind of get out of that. I think they will with football. I, I do think this was a mirage of a, of a season uh, compared to what they've done in the recent past, but mm-hmm. like you do risk like having that fan apathy, even from a really, really passionate fan base like ECU is. So um, that's good for business uh, when they win, and uh, and hopefully, and hopefully they will continue to. What do you think will happen in the head coaching position? I, I like to, and not for because ECU football. Yeah, not because you have any kind of bad opinion or good opinion. No. I like to get people's uh, standpoints on what they think. I love Mike Houston. I will say that before we. Pre- I will preface with I love Mike <laughs> Houston. I really do. Um, I do think, um, I don't think, and I know there's a lot of people that want to see a change there. I think he'll be back next year. I do too. If I had to make a prediction, I think, um, they will be making changes on the offensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we'll see Donnie Kirkpatrick return as offensive coordinator. Will he be let go entirely? I mean, I just, I just came from Montana where I watched, they kind of did like their own version of musical chairs where the previous offensive coordinator became an analyst on the staff mm-hmm. and they brought somebody else uh, from a, if it was the receivers coach to the, to the offensive coordinator position. So to me, I wouldn't be shocked if they kept Donnie on staff. Cause Donnie's been with Mike Houston everywhere he's gone yeah. uh, at JMU when they won the FCS national championship. Like, like he's been with them a long time. Mm-hmm. So I could see him moving to like an analyst role and getting play calling taken away. And then they either bring somebody else in or give it to a different member of the staff mm-hmm. and um, and go from there. I don't think the defense has been the problem, so I don't think. Oh, no. I think if Blake Harrell were to leave, that would be voluntarily. I don't think that would be because the university pushed him out. Right. Um, and, I, and I don't think we'll see Mike Houston get let go. I think he will get one more year to show that this past year um, they had a lot of uh, ba- like bad luck in close games. And... A lot of that came down to offensive play calling and execution, and I think they will address those in the off season, but uh, otherwise keep it uh, intact. And they'll, they, you know, they'll, they'll change players too. Like they'll go get guys in the portal. They'll, you know, there will obviously be guys who leave here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the reality of college sports now, and uh, that's what I that's what I kind of expect from a turnover standpoint in the off season. Well, everything you said, I could not agree more. Yeah. But do you have anything left to say about sports? You do you have any tips for anybody who wants to go into sports reporting? Uh, just uh, that you need to you need to think long and hard about how much you love sports. And I was actually telling this to someone uh, not too long ago. You got to really love it because it becomes your life. It you know it can prevent you at times from having a social life, and you got to be ready to. Uh, say no to a lot of friends and family stuff that yeah. they want you to do. Like I got a text from a buddy uh, not too long ago about, well, now that I'm back east, like, hey, like, would you be, would you want to come back up to Boston for uh, such and such a weekend for this birthday thing? And I was just like, yeah, there's no way. Yeah. So you have to be ready to do that, and you have to be ready to do that. Um, Often not for the salary you might be wanting be wanting to make, or that your and this is probably the biggest challenge: what your friends outside of broadcasting are making. If they're working in finance or private equity or real estate or you know union jobs like construction and stuff, like they're gonna be making more money than you. And that's just how it is. And that's just how it is. So you gotta, I mean, to do this job, you gotta really love sports and you gotta really 
um, be attached to wanting to work in sports. And if and if you can't be about it all the time, it's going to be hard. And I, you know, I think eventually you people have a way of uh, driving themselves out of the industry if they aren't that way. Um, to me, and it's something I thought long and hard about, like you know, moving to Montana and then moving back east. Like, mm-hmm. like those have been like big time life decisions that I've made. And I just felt confident that, like, my love of sports is always going to trump everything else as far as what I want to do career-wise. Like, I wouldn't feel right not working in sports. I might not work in broadcasting forever. Mm-hmm. I might get tired of it at some point. Or the industry might change so drastically that there's not space for a person like me anymore. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, I know I have to do something sports-related Um or I just like wouldn't enjoy what I'm doing. So yeah. I would say to anybody, yeah, that would be my advice is like, you got to really love it. You got to really enjoy it. And, um, and you have to have a thick skin. You have to be able to take criticism. And unfairly, I think if you're a woman looking to get into sports media, like you have to, you have to be ready to like deal with the fact that men are going to automatically discredit your knowledge on sports and you have to work twice as hard to gain credibility because of that and so you have to be willing to dodge or not dodge deal with those extra things as well if you're a woman looking to get into sports media um and all the other things i said are just things men deal with like women have to deal with so many other things that um you know some of which are pretty unfair and like that's a whole set of other challenges so i mean you got to love sports you got to be willing to kind of sometimes you're going to get some pretty wild emails from people and sometimes you're going to get uh people questioning your credibility and uh what you know and you got to know enough to back it up otherwise sometimes they're going to be right so that's a long-winded answer there. No, uh, yeah. I mean, we could do a whole podcast about that yeah. by itself, but um, that would be in two to three minutes my, my <laughs> thoughts on that. Great. Well, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me.